Hey friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to Lighting a Fire. Beautiful is the only way to say it. It's just like, it mm. almost like, whoa, where did that come from? Or how is this possible? And then, you know, the joy of math is when you get to go deeper and see like under the surface, where is all the connections happening? And like anyone can see some of these beautiful things. This was a fun one for me. I got to chat with Dr. Tom Clark and Dr. Mike Jansen, both math professors at Dort University. And I got to tell you, these guys help change the way I think about math. Just as a note, there are times when I sound like a total jerk in this episode. My hope was to voice some of the questions of the most obstinate math students so that Tom and Mike could really showcase the truth that there's more to math than many people realize. And I think they did just that. Enjoy the show. Hey, Tom and Mike, thanks so much for joining us for today's conversation around mathematics. I have a confession to make. Please don't hold it against me, but I've never been a huge math person. I don't even think I really like math. I don't know if I can say that to you guys, but... <laughs> Um, here's what I'd like to do. We've got about 30 minutes. I'd love to see if in 30 minutes you can convince me that math matters. Do you think you can do that? We'll give it a shot. Yeah, we'll do our best. <laughs> so my first question is, I never really felt like in, in high school or college even that I was really like a math person. Is, is that even a thing? Like, are there just math people? and not math people? Because that's kind of my perception. Yeah. So I think a lot of people may think it, think about it that way. Like I'm not a math person. And, and I guess to me, I want to split that up into whether you enjoy doing math and whether you think you could do math. Hmm. Um, Because I mean, I've, I've been learning how to bake bread recently and I've found that it's been really like it's really challenging to do a good job. Um, and that's just something I've started learning to do. And because I've been putting time into it, I've been getting better at it. Right. And somebody might say, I don't enjoy making bread and that's fine. Um, but I don't think anyone should say that they couldn't make bread. Right. Mm. Like if you put time into something, you're going to get better at it. And I think mathematics is, is similar, right? It's something you can, you can put you can invest time into. And if you do that, you'll get better at it. And people may have different levels of enjoyment. Um, I think Mike enjoys tennis more than I do, (laughs) but I wouldn't say that I couldn't play tennis and enjoy it. Right. I think it's sort of like that. That's how I think about it. It's something that you can invest time into and, and it's very rewarding when you do. I think that's kind of maybe the one thing I would say is you might surprise yourself. Yeah. Um, along those lines, I mean, Tom, Tom had the bread example, uh, for me recently running has been something, um, I've never thought of myself as an athlete. Uh, and, um, but at the same time, like we wouldn't tell someone, well, if you're not an athlete, that doesn't mean, that means that you can't, uh, you know, think about or or improve your fitness, right. Or or your health. Um, and I, I could kind of put math on the same, uh, plane there. Um, it's, it's something that you can improve at and it's something that you maybe haven't, maybe you haven't found a particular topic that you 
are interested in that really grabs you, but actually a lot of the world can be thought of from a mathematical perspective. And so mm. even if the, you know, arithmetic, algebra, geometry, you know, leading to calculus curriculum that is often taught in K-12 schools, I mean, if that's not for you, that doesn't mean there isn't some topic out there that you wouldn't find interesting. Okay. So I hear you guys saying, maybe I'm capable if I put in some effort, but I guess my next question would be respectfully, why? Like, what, what is it about math that, that you, you could say matters? So I, anyway, I teach, I'm going to sound like a big snob here in just a minute, but I've taught um, literature courses in the past. And as we get into these big discussions around major themes of like what it means to be a human, I walk out of those classes thinking like, man, that conversation mattered. Does, does math matter? And again, sorry, I sound like such a, a jerk right now, but does math matter? Okay. So there's, there's two different ways in which you can, you can look at it, right? There is, you know, is math useful? And I think, you know, everyone has to agree that math is incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just one example, the the GPS in your car, right? How does how does that even happen? You have to, you know, you have to solve the rocket equation to figure out how big of a rocket does it take to, you know, to lift a satellite into orbit. But then, like once the satellite is in orbit, it's spinning around the earth, right? It's like revolving around the earth. And because of Einstein's relativity equations, it means that time is actually passing slightly uh, slower on the satellite than it is on the earth. And so even, even the GPS has to like account for these um, time dilations that occur due to relativity, which is like these equations that Einstein cooked up in the 19, you know, tens or whatever. And, and, and all of that is just like all requires math. Like without math, none of those things can happen mm-hmm. And the signal processing and, you know, Fourier series. It's just, you know, like, and that's just for GPS, right? You can, you cannot have GPS without mathematics. There's no way, but I think that's not the only way to look at you know, is math important? Because somebody might say, well, that's great, but I'm not an engineer. I didn't invent GPS. I use it, but I don't have to understand it. Right. And it's, to me, that's getting at math is for someone else, but math isn't for me. And I think that math can be for everyone. Um, and you know, I don't, not to get back to cooking again, but you know, in the, in the movie Ratatouille, you know, at the end, like you have this rat that is that is cooking and there's this line like anyone can cook. Right. And I mm-hmm. think that, that math can be for you, too. And it might just be finding the part of math that you find actually interesting. And mm-hmm. and there are lots of interesting parts of math. And it's so diverse that it really could be for you, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And along those lines, um, you know, what, what so. In one of my courses in uh, a week or so, we're going to start looking at the mathematics that underlies how, um, you know, seats in the House of Representatives are divided up. And then once states have their apportionments, how do they draw district lines and how can we assess whether a certain districting plan is fair, whether it, um, you know, is discriminatory against a particular group or not. 
Um, and this is all important because you know we just completed a census. We're about to do this reapportionment, and then the the midterm elections in the U.S. in 2022 will happen under these new district plans, right? Some states will lose some seats, some states will gain some seats, and then some representatives will represent slightly different geographic areas. So um, if you are a person who is interested in justice and a well-functioning government, and um, and I would argue that everyone should be interested in those things, understanding the math that can make some of this stuff possible and how to use it uh, to evaluate whether what's happening is just or fair um, you know, I think that that would be something that I think everyone could could be interested in. The, the actual math isn't that complicated. Uh, if you you know have a basic understanding of some arithmetic, you can follow a lot of it. Um, and so there there's an example of I think something that's going to affect all of us, uh, something that's accessible to everyone, but not everyone is aware is happening. Mike, I've got to tell you, you caught me off guard a little bit there. I I never really thought of math having anything to do with justice in any way, shape, or form. And yet I think that's a wonderful example of, uh, you know, I'm picturing like a a little PBS justice brought to you. Today's Mm -hmm. justice episode brought to you by math. I mean, that's kind of incredible. I I have to, I hate to admit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and frankly, um, you know, a lot of these advances uh, and a lot of, frankly, some of the, uh, more advanced, uh, say, gerrymandered house maps, uh, and that's a whole thing we can get into, is is enabled by uh, computation and algorithms and being able to generate thousands and thousands and thousands of potential maps uh, to figure out which one is going to benefit uh, the, you know, the, the body drawing the maps or, or whatever. So, you know, um, understanding uh, that that even just understanding that that's possible right um, that that opens someone's mind uh, to you know ask questions of their representatives um, so yeah so sometimes it's it's just a matter of knowing what's out there um, not necessarily being able to you know teach someone all the details if I may just add something here on justice that you were just bringing up a second ago Bryant um you can also use math for injustice mm. in a sense. Um, your your question almost assumes that there's a neutrality to mathematics, that, you know, some things have a moral character, like, you know, maybe films can be morally good or bad, but mathematics, well, it's just numbers. How could it have a morality to it? But when you get into, you know, algorithms and um, some of these machine learning things, it, the the structure itself kind of, it's almost like they take on a morality of their own and the data you choose to feed into them like feeds them assumptions and presuppositions that maybe you didn't didn't think about. Hmm. Um, and so that's something that we really do need to pay attention to, not just that math is good, but that math can be used for ill as well. Um, and And we have to understand that it's not necessarily neutral. And Tom, I'm thinking maybe some of that was revealed even in that recent Social Dilemma documentary where it's talking about algorithms and how even Google searches, like there's an equation that's determining what comes up on your computer when you ask, say, a question or what's popping up in the sidebar on social media websites. And is that kind of what you're getting at, that all those things involve math too? Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's a good book on this. If 
if you're interested. Um, weapons of math title. destruction. Yeah, weapons of math destruction. No, are you kidding me, guys? It's Is a great, it's, it's a great title. <laughs> it's a good book too, <laughs> but it's a great title. Yeah. <laughs> weapons of math destruction. Okay, I'm gonna see if that's an audio book because I'd like to listen to that, <laughs> guys. That's really good, and and frankly, you guys are talking about math in a way that I don't think I have before. I'm just curious when it comes to teaching students, I know you guys are at the college level, but also math teachers at the high school level listening to this, do you have any creative ways to introduce the subject of math that sometimes has some baggage or at least some, some this negative stigma that's sometimes associated with math? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a really challenging question. I, I spent four years as a high school teacher before uh, teaching at the college level. And so I know the challenges of trying to help you know, 16 year olds want to learn math. Um, I think one verse that I pull from Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good, um, is, you know, God made this whole world, right? It's all worthy of study. There's beauty in everything. There's meaning in everything. And so any, anything you choose to put your mind to has value in it. And so math is one of those things. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not a challenge to help a student see it that way. You know, in education, you're really going, you're kind of fighting uphill sometimes because there's a cultural idea that math is bad or math is hard or math isn't for me. And so while you might be trying to kindle a fire, right, a good teacher might kindle a fire in students, you know, other people are throwing water on that and it, and it makes it pretty challenging. Hmm. Um, but I'll try to give a couple ideas. Uh, one idea is exploding dots is a really a joy filled curriculum um, that teaches everything from, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, division of polynomials, power series. It's this, it's this really simple little idea that takes I mean, you, you can take it from kindergarten to calculus, actually, and understand arithmetic. And it's, it's just so fun, for lack of a better word. It's so interesting. And it shows how the structure of math is actually at play. And it makes it almost like learning is fun because you're understanding what's really going on. Um, and I think the thing that pushes people away from math is they don't feel like they know what's going on. They're seeing somebody else do it, but they're not the ones doing it themselves. And, and so that's a really good example of, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Be the one doing the math. And that, and that actually, if you don't mind me interrupting, Tom, is where uh, your pedagogical choices can make a huge difference, right? If you are the one standing at the front of the room uh, you know, proclaiming these mathematical truths from on high and you know how to do everything and everyone else is sitting around the room kind of looking around, figuring out what's going, you know, or not figuring out what's going on. Um, mm. You know, that, that can reinforce that feeling that I, this isn't for me. So, I mean, in all of my classes, I endeavor to, you know, make the students figure things out. And, and that generally involves me, you know, creating some accessible activities that kind of scaffold them toward whatever the big idea for the day is. Um, and so they are the ones doing it. And then they, if, if they're lost, if they, if they don't know how to do a particular problem, they're sitting next to someone uh, who maybe also doesn't, but maybe, maybe they do, and maybe they can help one another, you know, groups can work with groups. Um, 
they can ask questions. It's, it's a much more lively, hands-on, uh, you're talking about tasting and seeing, right? Like you are actively working um, to figure out the mathematics that we are exploring that day. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie Hidden Figures where, you know, there's this sort of old white man who's, you know, up in the front with the chalkboard and he's explaining something. And then he, at one moment, he sort of hands the chalk over to this, um, to this uh, black female mathematician who really is incredibly smart. And she goes up and she's the one with the chalk and she explains everything. And you see, like, he let go of the chalk right? He gave her an opportunity to shine. And I think that's a pedagogical choice. Do you give students a chance to be the ones doing the math, to be the ones making sense? And you may have to move at a slower pace in order to do that. And it may turn out it takes more time to learn math than you might otherwise think. Like you have to make space for learning. Um, and you might be deceiving yourself with your, you know, perfectly polished lectures and the students are taking notes, but they're not really understanding things. Mike, tell me about the Rubik's Cube activity you do. Yeah. So, um, so I teach a liberal arts math course uh, every spring um, that's geared towards students in the humanities. Also education students take it and the occasional math major will take it because we cover topics that um, aren't often in the standard math curriculum. Um, and one of my favorite ways to engage students is with games and puzzles. Uh, Tom and I both enjoy playing board games, and um, I will bring games in whenever I can. Um, but I typically start the semester with an exploration of the Rubik's Cube, which is this wonderful, uh, wonderfully mathematical object. Um, it actually, uh, the mathematics underlying the cube is quite abstract and, and quite advanced, but um, we just need a few tools uh, to to solve it basically. But from day one, students, it's so tactile, right? Students are sitting at their chairs, uh, you know, turning the cube, uh, turning the various layers. And, and basically every student I think that I've ever had in that course can at least get uh, one layer completely solved without having to be taught any special moves or anything. And some of them are even able to go a little bit further than just a single layer. Uh, usually that last layer, uh, once you, once you, um, you know, uh, usually you have to mess some things up elsewhere to solve that last layer. And so you need some, you need some special tools at that point, but by the time they get there, they're ready for it. They, they understand how it works. Uh, they can describe to someone what they're doing. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a way to draw students in and get them doing hands-on work and talking to one another. And so at the end of the unit, I always say, okay, why, why did, why do you think we started with this unit? Um, and, and try to make the sales pitch that even though the, what we're going to do the rest of the semester is not specifically around games or puzzles, or certainly won't be as tactile as, you know, a three-dimensional cube that you can, you know, move around, um, that taking that mentality of, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to try things and it might take me a little while, but I will get there. Um, but I really want them to take that mentality through the rest of the semester. Hmm. Guys, there, there seems to be kind of a common thread here in seeing a bigger picture or understanding. I mean, even with that Rubik's Cube example, I can imagine having all the sides, but the last side. And then like, I need a tool to like help me get this thing that, that I want to happen or maybe being particularly burdened by, by justice, uh, even in how to do politics better, how to do our run this democracy better or 
and then realizing math is the vehicle to achieving that goal. Um, there seems to be something about understanding the, the wide reach of mathematics to really understanding its value. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I also, I, I also try to instill in those same students and frankly, our majors as well, that like math is this math is this wonderful tool, this wonderful way of thinking, uh, that, that God has given us. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a danger in over mathematizing everything, mm. right? Um, not everything is reducible to mathematics, uh, not everything should be reducible to mathematics. So, so while we can bring math, we, we should bring mathematics in conversation with other ways of, of study, other ways of thinking. Um, it's not, it's not the end all be all. And just because you have, you know, a number or a statistic or something that, you know, bolsters an argument doesn't, doesn't mean that you've, you've won the argument, I suppose. So guys, I'm hearing and I'm starting to get a picture reluctantly of this, of this, uh, the real value of mathematics in say a high school or probably a college math course as well. Is there also like a hidden curriculum? In other words, are there things, uh, maybe even virtues or concepts or skills that are being taught concurrently with the explicit math? And if so, what are those things? Yeah. So this is kind of touching on a, a recent book that just came out, Mathematics for Human Flourishing by Francis Sue, where he sort of makes the argument that, you know, math is fun and beautiful and amazing. You know, that's how I think about it. Um, but that in doing math, you develop these virtues of, you know, learning persistence, that, um, that mathematics is a good object of you know, times, you know, spending time on, on mathematics, like helps you develop persistence in solving problems, or it shows you how to be curious about something that you might not have expected, or it can spark joy. Um, and I think that, you know, that's sort of like a underneath it, right? So you're taking a course in say calculus. Does that mean you're going to be building a rocket? No, but I mean, maybe, but even if not, that that course is helping you learn how to learn. It's helping you, you know, build these these virtues in your life, or at least have the opportunity to grow um, that can extend just beyond the mathematics itself. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I would just throw in as well a, a, a plug for that book, uh, Mathematics for Human Flourishing. Uh, it's yeah, it it, pre it presents a beautiful view. I think not just of mathematics, but also just kind of education and what education is for. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as a hidden curriculum is concerned, I think it depends a little bit on the audience. But that um, that idea of growing in persistence um, that's something that everyone will encounter. The the need to grow uh, in you know persistence in solving problems. Um, some people, uh, it takes them a while in their math courses before they reach that point where suddenly something is hard, uh, but it gets hard for everyone at some point. You, you'll eventually run into a challenge. And the question is, what do you do? Uh, does that excite you? Does that, um, is that something that you want to push through or yeah, do you say, okay, I'm, I've reached, I've reached my ceiling and I'm done. And I, I hope to, regardless of the class that I'm teaching, I hope to get my students to say, I'm excited about this. I want to understand this and I want to push through. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in a culture of such, uh, such high value on convenience, right? The mm -hmm. easiest path is the best path. 
And so maybe we desperately need mathematics right now. That very thing you said, developing perseverance, the ability to keep going when it gets challenging. Oh man, <laughs> there's few things more valuable than, than developing that in young people. Yeah, everything is going to get hard, as as Mike just said. Uh, I use this uh, article called "Everyone Has Their Own Personal Green Serum" when I teach my multivariable differential or my multivariable calculus class, and it it sort of makes that argument that you know every person eventually hits a place where it gets hard. And for me, like when I was learning piano, that was like fourth grade, right? Like all of a sudden in fourth grade, it wasn't fun anymore. It was hard. Mm. Um, and, and I actually quit and, and like, I am worse off for it. Right. I, I now wish that I had stuck with it and pushed through and could still play piano. Um, and I think mathematics is something that many people quit too. And I think it is, it's a loss, right? It's not, you're missing out on on a beautiful part of the world in mm. the same way that if you couldn't learn, you know, if you didn't learn to read, you would be missing out on things. And if you, you know, never learn to to run, like you're sort of missing out on certain things, right? There's so many good things, right? Genesis 1, like, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. There's all of these good things. And, you know, you only have so much time, so you can't do all of them. But it it would it's it would be a sad thing to leave things on the table that you hadn't at least tried and um you know and you might have learned you know learned other useful skills from having done it as well mm -hmm. guys that I mean, that's wisdom right there because i see challenge and i think i've been conditioned to see challenge as a sign that i should quit now because it just got hard <laughs> and and therefore like you've said it's maybe not for me we, we have these beautiful portraits of like easy, wonderful life. And yet realizing that if something's good and valuable, it's also going to get challenging at some point. And that's an invitation to persevere and continue. And there's fruit and good things on the other side of all challenges. And I, I don't even know if I think about challenges that way, the way you guys are describing it. It's maybe essential that we learn to grow in that perspective. All right, Tom, and Mike, you both have said, beautiful, I've kept a little tally going here a number of times. What, how would you describe math as beautiful? Help make sense of that to me. What's beautiful about mathematics? Yeah, there are, I think, a number of uh, aesthetic qualities that, that mathematics can possess. I mean, so, so sometimes there are, you know, uh, truths, right, theorems that themselves uh, are kind of fascinating. So one is um, if, if you think about uh, the, the counting numbers, right? One, two, three, four, five, and, and so on. Uh, some of those are what are called prime numbers, right? They're only divisible by themselves and one. And it turns out that there are infinitely many such numbers. And uh, that in and of itself, I think, is kind of cool. It's not obvious that, uh, that there would be. So there's a surprising element to it. And that surprise um, can catch people as beautiful. But what's often regarded as, as the most beautiful aspect of that is the argument, uh, the proof that there are infinitely many prime numbers. Uh, because it's thousands of years old and it's very short. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's elegant. Uh, there's an elegance to it. Um, if you see it written well, it's presented 
very economically. There's nothing, there's no wasted space. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, Hmm. so, I mean, that's, that's one such example. Um, there, there are lots of, um, examples involving infinity. Uh, mathematics is kind of concerned with infinity, uh, maybe more than some of the other sciences are. (laughs) Um, that's a wonderful sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Mathematics uh, is concerned with infinity. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, the uh, there. Well, I just said there are infinitely many prime numbers. There are infinitely many counting numbers. But it turns out there are there are more. There's a larger infinity of infinite decimals between the numbers zero and one than there are counting numbers. And this can all what? be this can all be made completely rigorous, right? Um, and and incontrovertible. But uh, but that's really surprising. And and. Uh, that strikes me as a as a beautiful fact about mathematics. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to have to think about that for some time. But I, I think I get what you're saying. And that's, <laughs> that sounds really cool. And yeah, that is surprising. I think, yeah, the, the word surprise, I think, is is key for me in, mm. in beauty. It's um, the times where something surprises me or something pops out. Um, there There are these sort of, you know, these five mathematical constants that are really important and show up all the time. Mm. Uh, you know, all of, all of math, you know, the, the integers sort of can be built from zero and one. If you have zero and one, you can sort of add them together and can create all the other numbers and you can create rational numbers, but there's these other, uh, you know, I is this imaginary number and pi is, you know, everyone knows pi from the circle. And then E is this super important number in calculus. And yet there's this one equation, e to the i pi plus one equals zero, that relates all of them together, that somehow they're all connected to each other in an interesting way. And I was just doing this integral where it had a e to the x squared in it. And, you know, you would think like, oh, we're in like calculus land, we're getting e's. And then all of a sudden the square root of pi popped out at the end. And it was like, how, where did pi come in? Like, what's the, you know, and there's these weird things that just like, and it, you know, it's just. It beautiful is the only way to say it. It's just like it's hmm. almost like, whoa, where did that come from? Or how is this possible? And then, you know, the joy of math is when you get to go deeper and see like under, you know, like under the surface, where is all the connections happening and like finding out, you know, that kind of thing. That's what, you know, that's what deeper study allows you. But anyone can see some of these, you know, beautiful things and 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 appreciate the beauty in the same way that I can appreciate the beauty of a poem or a painting, but somebody who has a PhD in literature or art is going to know, well, really this painting is reflecting on this and connecting to this. And, you know, there's, they're going to have a deeper appreciation of that beauty, but it's still, anyone can look at it. Like it's open to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, poetry is for everyone. Painting is for everyone, even if you don't have a PhD in it. Right. And the math is the same way. Hmm. I love, I mean, the word that's coming to mind as you guys talk is worship. Mm. (laughs) I don't think you said that word, but recognizing the surprising beauty. I mean, that, that to me is, is you're on the doorstep of worship, right? At that point, would you describe it in that way? Yeah. I mean, you don't, you want to be careful not to make it anything into an, an idol. Like, so idolatry is always a danger. Um, but if something is pointing you to God, then it is, then that thing is, is causing you to worship, right? So if the beauty, 
and the joy or whatever you're experiencing from, you know, this looking at some proof or looking at some result that, you know, surprised you and some problem that you worked out that was really hard. And it's like, oh, yeah, if that points you to God and says, you know, thank you for making the world so interesting and so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for creating a world that wasn't boring, but that was deep and has layers and layers that I get to explore. Then that is worship. Yeah, when I'm when I'm, you know, like in the zone of working something out, there is that sort of that sense of calm and and beauty that, you know, does really feel like worship in a way. Yeah, there's a a great uh Nick Wolterstorff quote uh that I just found um that uh, where he says that aesthetic delight uh is a component within and a species of that joy which belongs to the shalom God has ordained as the goal of human existence and which here already in this broken and fallen world of ours is to be sought and experienced. Um, and I think he goes on to say that it's a foretaste of the, the joy uh, to come in uh, the new heaven or the new creation, right? Uh, so any, any place that you're able to find that, and, and you can find that in mathematics, I think is, is certainly worthy of uh, the Christian's time. Guys, this is fascinating. I'm curious, in college, I walked into a, a, a little club meeting that I, I was looking for a place to study and it was ended up being like a theoretical math club i want to say and i just kind of stayed and listened for a minute or two and had no clue what they were talking about but can you guys just blow my mind really quickly with what's the frontier of math like what's the stuff that's that's still being figured out or wrestled with in the world of mathematics because i often think of it as like a done deal but but maybe is there more to it than that yeah, there's a lot more to it. Uh, there, there are frontiers everywhere, uh, everywhere you look in mathematics. Um, and some of them are very old. Uh, so um, I, I mentioned prime numbers earlier. Uh, so there are, there are pairs of primes that are two apart, right? So three and five are both prime and they're two apart. And 11 and 13 are prime and they're two apart. And, and these are called twin primes. And uh, I think I also mentioned earlier that there are, there are infinitely many prime numbers. So a reasonable question to ask is, are there infinitely many pairs of twin primes? Uh, and as I said, this is a very old question. I, I don't know how old, but on the order of at least hundreds of years, if not uh, thousands. Um, and uh, we have no idea. We don't know, we don't know the answer. Um, <laughs> but just a few years ago, I think 2012 or 2013, uh, some major progress was made. Uh, and announced, and then uh, there was a flurry of activity. And now we know, I think, that there are infinitely many pairs of primes that are a distance of at most 256 apart or something like that. I don't remember what the number is. But, what? Um, oh, my goodness. But, but it, went from, it went from knowing nothing about whether there were pairs of primes that were at most some distance apart uh, to now knowing that we do have infinitely many pairs of primes that are at least you know, kind of close to one another. And we have no idea if, still if there are infinitely many pairs of twin primes. Yeah, one, this is one of the things that's interesting is, you know, the power of computation where nowadays with computers, you can run a computer on finding all the prime numbers and, you know, seeing if you find a pair of them, right? Um, but because there's an infinite number of numbers, you can never be sure. Um, another sort of classic problem that's unknown is this very simple problem um, sometimes called the hailstone problem, uh, because, you know, when a hailstone is made, it kind of goes up and down in a cloud and, you know, makes hail and then it falls eventually. 
So if you take any number, and if the number's even, you divide it by two, then you would get a new number. And if that number is even, you would divide it by two. But then if you hit an odd number, then you triple it and add one. So, you know, you might start with say four, well, four is divisible by two, you get two, two is divisible by two, and then you get to one. So if you get to one, then you stop. Um, but if you started with the number 12, it would go, you know, 12, then six, then three, but three is odd. So you triple it and add one, you get to 10. Well, 10 is even, so you divide by two, it's five. Five's odd, so you triple it and add one, you get to 16. But then 16 divided by two is eight, divided by two is four, divided by two is, is two, divided by two is one, right? Um, and we don't know whether every number eventually goes to one or not. And you would think, well, you've got this process, right? It, you divide by two if it's even, or you triple it and add one if it's odd. You'd think eventually everything would sort of get hit an even number and kind of divide by two all the way down to one. But we actually have, we don't know the answer. And we've tested it in computers for, you know, the first billion numbers or trillion or whatever. Mm. And so it seems to be true, but there, you know, it's just on the edge of our ability to even understand how to prove something like that. And because there's an infinite number of numbers, you can't just have a computer check them all because there's always more. Whoa. Um, so you need a mathematical proof and no one has any idea how to solve this problem. It's just beyond even the smartest people, you know, really smart people have tried this and given up and, you know, it, it's fascinating. Like, and that's a very simple to state problem that we do not know the answer to. I love that. Tinkering with infinity is probably complicated business. Huh? I, I can't think of a ton of times I even think about infinity in a day. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. No, it, there, there, there are lots of great problems out there. One, uh, one other one that I'll just mention because it, it's not all, you know, playing with, with numbers, um, is the, uh, the traveling salesperson problem. So, uh, so you've got maybe, maybe more, um, you know, to the current moment, rather than traveling salespeople, we've got a bunch of uh, delivery drivers that have a bunch of stops to make, uh, maybe in different cities or maybe, you know, houses in a particular city or something. And so one question is, if you've got some number of stops that need to be made, what is the shortest possible route that visits each of the stops exactly once and returns to the origin? And this is a really hard computational problem. And, um, at the moment it is, uh, yeah, we, we don't have an efficient algorithm for determining this. Uh, if the number no of stops way. is small, then okay, fine. But, um, the number of stops doesn't have to get too large, uh, before, before, uh, the problem becomes computationally untenable. That's fascinating. I yeah. It doesn't mean you can't find a route. Uh, you can certainly find a route, but how do you know that you have the shortest route? Um, how can you find it? And how do you know? I, I would never have guessed that. I mean, that's just such a practical logistical question that I'm sure lots of people genuinely want to find out, right? That you mentioned delivering packages. That's really cool. We don't know how to do that yet. Guys, time is running short. This has been a blast. I am, you, I have to say, I'm, I'm reluctant to do so, but I think you've convinced me that Matt, there's more to math, first of all, than I thought. And second, math is kind of awesome. I hate to say it, but I have to say it. Math is awesome. We'll take it. <laughs> Progress. Uh, it can be for you too. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good news. 
Yeah, there's some there's some nice books like uh, Infinite Powers is a mm. new book by Stephen Rogatz, which sort of basically says, if calculus is so awesome, you know, could I understand it? You know, and he basically writes a book that you know you, that you could read and understand and try to get a sense of why is calculus so good. Mm. Um, yeah, you get a and, you get a good sense of the big ideas, but also some of the. Uh, some of the ways it's affecting your life, right? The way the calculus underneath GPS uh, that that was, I think, mentioned earlier, um, yeah. or the calculus that went into uh, the AIDS uh, treatment breakthroughs that have happened over the last ten or twenty years. Guys, this has been absolutely fascinating. Tom and Mike, I'm so grateful for your time. You've given me tons to think about. And I'm sure our math challenge folks in the audience will feel the same, that, that this, there's actually more going on here than meets the eye. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's, it's been, been a pleasure. A, it's been a lot of fun. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting a Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, this is Lighting a Fire.